Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. time we have left, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 34, Exodus 34, and this is one of two places we're going to be today, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay, there should be one uh, in the chair, in the pew, and it should be on page 87, Exodus 34, and we're going to get there in a second, but before we get there... I want to, uh, we're going to read together several passages of scripture I'm going to put up here. And so once you find Exodus 34, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. We're going to stand together. We're going to read out loud these passages. And I want you to see the correlation between them and what we see in common. So the first one is in Nehemiah 9, 30 and 31. Let's read this together. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Next, we're going to read Numbers 14, 18. Let's read this together. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Next, we're going to read Psalm 86, 15. Let's read this together. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 145, verse 8. Let's read this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And then Joel 2, 12 through 13. Let's read this together. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster." Now, look in your Bibles, Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. Starting in verse 5. And I'm going to read this. I want you to follow along in Scripture. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. I want you to picture that. Moses on the mountain, and God descends and stands with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in your word today, that you would make clear who you are, and that we would be motivated by that to pursue a life that glorifies you above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, this morning, as we read through those texts, and we're going to read a passage a little later on out of 2 Corinthians, but if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to grasp this main idea. If you get nothing else at all, this is what I want you to grasp. God is gracious. Don't receive it in vain. God is gracious. Don't receive it in vain. Now, as we read through each one of those scripture passages, you should have seen a theme occurring. That is, it wasn't just in one location in scripture that we see this description of who God is. And why we went back to Exodus last is because I wanted you to see that this wasn't even simply the authors, the writers of Scripture who were saying this about God, but God Himself proclaimed this very truth about who He is. Now, if this is your first Sunday with us, we've been walking through a series of talks called God Is, looking foundationally into Scripture to seek and understand who His God revealed Himself to be, rather than us simply going, who have I created God to be in my own mind? Trying to deconstruct those thoughts and build it back up on a foundation that's rooted in Scripture. And today specifically, the one main attribute I want us to focus on here is that God is gracious. Everyone say gracious. Now, as we see throughout these texts, God talked about as gracious, a question that we should be asking in the midst of that is, if God is gracious, what does that mean? Now, if we compare this logically with how the world would define gracious, we might quickly jump to the same terminology we use if someone has us over for dinner and they treat us really well, we would say this person was a what? They were a gracious host. And what we mean by that is that we, were, we felt well cared for. And they were courteous and they went above and beyond. And I, I, it was just a great time. They were gracious. They were gracious to us. But you know what? If that is where we stop and all of a sudden our idea of God being gracious is no different than our grandma cooking a great meal and having us into her house, that gets pretty discouraging when we consider is that all that this is to describe God as the same level as that? And clearly, it goes above and beyond this. And what's interesting is if we look beyond the cultural definition, which is just kind or friendly, 
we see that for God to be gracious really comes down to He's not only a God who is personable and who is kind, but He is benevolent, that is, He cares about needs, but He is also merciful, and He's disposed to forgive offenses and impart unmerited blessings. Now that changes the dynamic altogether. That God is gracious in the midst of this. And as you read the whole counsel of God's word, you start to see this in his character so plainly. All you have to do is go back into the Old Testament and start reading some of the narrative stories about how God's people acted and what God's response was. Israel constantly was in this cycle of, all right, God, we're going to serve you. Oh, we're comfortable with where we are. We're going to serve the next God or the next nation or the next whatever it is. And God is patient with them. And He gives grace to them. And in times where He could have just been done with them and said, you're no longer my chosen people. I'm going to find a group of people who is actually going to take me seriously. He does it. He follows through with that. He maintains His promises. He gives grace abundantly beyond what we could imagine. And He does the same for us present day. And we see that most vividly, most evidently through the person and the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? And so in the midst of this, we see a consistency in the whole narrative of Scripture, not just in Exodus, not just in the Old Testament, but throughout the narrative of the whole that describes and emphasizes that God, the God of the Bible, the God we serve, is a gracious God. Everyone say gracious. Now, here's the next question. If it is in God's nature to be gracious, does this mean He extends grace to all people? This is a complex question. And what I want to bring your attention to is actually a theological framework that most people don't learn unless they go to seminary or Bible college. I certainly didn't until I stepped into that. And it's this concept of God's grace that we see in Scripture, but it's segmented in a way that we could better understand this. The first aspect of that is what we're going to call God's common grace. Everyone say common. God's common grace, biblically, is God's favor poured out on all people. Now, here's where we see this in Scripture. The first place is in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus himself is speaking... And he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many people are familiar with that passage? You've heard that before. Okay, but the next part is just as important. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see this here? God does not only give earthly blessing to the people who are following after Him. He sends rain on the whole land. He causes the sun to rise on the whole land. Those are things we take for granted that God could easily take away at any moment. That is God's common grace. This is emphasized once more in Acts chapter 14. Now, what's happening in Acts chapter 14 is that Paul and Barnabas have been going through and preaching the gospel, and they're in this region called Lystra, 
And they perform these miracles, and all of a sudden, the unbelievers in Lystra start calling them by names of false gods, specifically Zeus and Hermes. And Paul and Barnabas, as you can imagine, are going, no, 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 you need to stop. And in fact, the passage says they tore their clothes, and they they go, whoa, no, we are no one, we are no God, there is one God. And then they try to plead with the people to the point of saying, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Now, this would be a totally different passage if we saw it spoken in view to other believers. But in fact, they are speaking this to the very people who just called them by names of false gods and were starting to worship them. So from that we can deduct, these people were not followers of Christ. But Paul still takes the emphasis to say, look, God has borne witness of his common grace to you in that he has sent rain. He has satisfied you with food and gladness. And any one of us could recognize this and maybe even point to times when that is really frustrating. That we see plenty and provision on people who just live a wicked life. And I'm trying to to pursue a life that's following after Christ. And why, why is this not the way that it looks for me? Now, if this, God's common grace, if this was the full extent of what it looks like for God to be gracious, then he definitely appears to be a sort of passive genie who just decides who he's going to give rewards to. But there's another aspect of this that we often miss. And that is that God's grace is not just seen in this way to all people, but there's a more specific revelation of his grace. And what we're going to identify and call God's special grace. Everyone say special. This is God's grace given to his chosen people. God's special grace. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 1, where it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But, listen to this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It talks about this specific calling The specific choosing, and so contrary to culture, it's a choosing of people who otherwise the rest of the world will go, why them? Now, does this mean that I'm saying that God's grace is only sufficient? God's special grace is only sufficient for a few people? Let me clarify something here. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 
You hear that? The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. For all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what I want you to understand here, God's common grace is seen in the everyday benefits of living here on earth and being able to go and plant a garden and grow food for yourselves, being able to work a job and provide, being able to see God's blessings even on those who don't live a life according to that, where God could say, no, no more. God's special grace is specifically poured out through Christ and is received only by those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to who? All. Everyone say all. This is important for you to understand. Not just a few. God's grace is sufficient to atone for all, but we know based in Scripture that narrow is the way and few choose it. So we know biblically that not everyone is going to choose to follow Jesus. And therefore, God's special grace is not poured out on everyone. Because not everyone is receiving that and saying, I believe in this truth. Now I want you to flip over to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. And if you have one of the, the pew Bibles, it's page 1147. And here Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5, I'm going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read just into chapter 6. Verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everyone say new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Now, I really like image pictures and illustrations. And so this is, this is a way I wanted to emphasize this whole concept of how, do, how could we receive the grace of God in vain, okay? So I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. You want to come? All right, come here. Come here. You picked a good Sunday to be a volunteer, okay? Here you go. Thank you. You can have a seat. Give him a, give him a hand, everybody. I need another volunteer. Come up, come on, Steve. Come on. <laughs> okay, I need another volunteer. Oh, what? Why is everyone all of a sudden volunteering so quickly? I need another volunteer. Okay. Uh, all right, come on. All right, I need another volunteer. Turn around. What is it? What are you? It's not as exciting, was it? I still got one for you. It says, here, what does that say? Grace. Okay, now listen. We tend to approach God's grace the exact same way we just approached that illustration. I'm really eager to be a part of this when it benefits me. And then God says, I've, I've given grace to you in Christ. And we go, oh, thank, thanks God. I'd really like a candy bar though. Isn't that what we do? And church, to receive God's grace in vain, it simply means that I'm apathetic or I don't really care about the grace of God. This is why things like a prosperity gospel are so popular, because it promises me something else, something in addition to God's grace that Scripture doesn't promise me. 
And so for us to recognize that God is a gracious God is fantastic. Praise the Lord if you can say that. But it's a whole other thing for me to live in a way that goes, I recognize fully the value and the worth of God's grace in my life. Not just at salvation, but every single day. And it's way more valuable than a candy bar. It's way more valuable than anything we can accumulate or achieve in this world. Whether we see God's common grace and we become envious or jealous of those things, if you are in Christ, you have the most valuable possession, not just in this earth, but eternally. Have you received the grace of God in Christ? Or are you looking for a candy bar? Because if you're hearing this truth right now and you have not made a decision as to whether or not you're going to choose to follow Jesus, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. You need to make that decision today. For the rest of you, understand, and especially for you, Team Romania, you are ambassadors for Christ. You are Jesus' ambassadors. An ambassador, (laughs) I love this definition, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government, or sovereign as the resident representative of his or own government, or sovereign or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. If you're in Christ, you are an ambassador of Jesus with the good news of the gospel, a very representative of the grace of God through Jesus. So how, here's, here's, I'm going to give you two application questions as we close here. How do I avoid receiving the grace of God in vain? Two things. Understand and remind yourself that you have done nothing to earn the grace of God. Understand and remind yourself that you've done nothing to earn the grace of God. The quickest way to take God's grace in vain is to determine that you have earned it, that you've deserved it somehow. And Ephesians 2 reminds us really clearly, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift of God. Understand and remind yourself. Remind yourself of that. And secondly, in all that you do, Live for Christ. Verse 15 in 2 Corinthians 5 says, And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. When you encounter those you consider adversaries, live for Christ. When you face unknown hardship, crisis, and trial, live for Christ. When life just seems to be moving on at a normal pace, live for Christ for Christ. How do I live for Christ? I remind myself every hour that I have not earned nor deserved the grace that has been shown to me. 
God is gracious. Don't receive it in vain. Amen, church? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I'd ask you to stand with me and we're going to pray before we close with this final song. And as we do so, maybe you are wrestling with this and you're saying to yourself, I, I have not made the decision to believe in the name of Jesus, to believe that He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And I just want to encourage you right here and now that belief in that is just one step away. You shifting from being in a place of rejection to a place of saying, I'm all in. I'm going to choose to live for Christ. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to to come up and tap me on the shoulder after service today because I want to talk with you. And maybe you're just struggling with this and you don't really know where, where you're at or what you think. I want you to come tap me on the shoulder after service today. I'm going to stay right down here at the end of this song. And I want you to grab me and, and let's talk. Let's, let's not leave here today with that uncertainty. Allow God to work through that in and through you. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would give us an accurate view of your grace. That we would not receive that in vain, God. That we would not diminish that somehow in our own human understanding, but rather that we would see it for all it is, that it would bring us to a place of humility, that it would bring us to a place of absolute dependence upon you, and that it would motivate us and move us to a place where we live for Christ, not just on Sundays, not just around my Christian friends, co-workers, and peers, but God, every day and every circumstance that we would be committed to living for Jesus. We thank you that you are gracious to us, that you're patient, that you're merciful, that you're slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, God. We don't deserve that. Help us to remember that each day that you give us breath in our lungs. We praise you for who you are, for what you've already done, and for your faithfulness to continue to draw us to yourself even when we stray far from you. We pray this in Jesus' name.